Well, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three Gospels, they all record an incident in the life of Jesus. When he has been ministering for a while, and they've seen the miracles, and they've heard the teaching, and the crowds are abuzz, and people are talking, and Jesus comes aside with his disciples, and he says, Who do men say that I am? He's taking inventory. He wants an assessment. Now, he knows. But he wants to know what they know, and what they've seen, and what they've observed. So he says, Who do men say that I am? And they give him the answers that they've heard from the crowd. Some say Elijah, some say you're the prophet, some say you're this, some say you're that. And then Jesus homes in on the question and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, in his wonderfully impetuous way, is the first one to board out, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You have not discerned this on your own. But my Father that is in heaven has given you this insight. And he begins to explain all the implications of what that means and God's plan for eternity and the plan of redemption. And he begins to to project his death on the cross. And Peter says again, wait a minute. No way, Lord. No, I will never let this happen to you. And Jesus turns to him a second time and says, Satan, get behind me. Have you ever thought about the the extremes of that scenario? Here is Peter one moment boarding out a brilliant flash of God-inspired insight. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then within minutes, Jesus having affirmed to him, Peter, this has come from God. You are speaking the words of God. The next thing you know, Jesus is saying, Satan, get behind me to the same man. And Jesus gives this explanation because he says, you are not desiring the will of God, but your own desires. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus referred to as satanic in Peter's life. I have great empathy for Peter. And it goes to the realization that on a human plane, Jesus has captured this man's heart. He has captured his imagination. He has called him to be his follower. He was fishing one day and the next day he's fishing for men with Jesus Christ. He has heard the profound teaching. He has seen the incredible miracles. He has become close to this man who is pouring his life into Peter. Peter has come to love him and to respect him and to value him. And Jesus is talking about a cross. And and Peter's saying, no way! 
This is never going to happen to you. I'm not going to let you go to the cross. And friends, when you, when you put it in the context, Peter's words are completely understandable in his heart, in his emotional life. He does not want to see the best friend he's ever met. The, the one he has just realized is the Son of God. He does not want to see him suffer and die on a cross. And what he says is a good and well-intentioned thing. I will not let this happen to you. I mean, a lot of times when we think of the flesh, okay, we think of bad and ugly stuff, you know. You're being mean, you're lying, you're cheating, you're, you're throwing a temper tantrum and screaming profanity. We, we look at that and say, well, that's the flesh. But here is Peter saying something good, something noble. I'm never going to let them put you to death. I'm never going to let this happen to you. And Jesus says, Peter, you have aligned yourself with Satan. And as far as I'm concerned, right now you are Satan in my presence. Get out of my sight. Be done with this. Because your heart is not on the will of God, but on your own desires. And what Jesus says aligns him with Satan in that moment is simply the fact that he wants what he wants instead of what God wants. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? Jesus makes it very black and white. To pursue your own course in life is to align yourself with the devil. To pursue God is to align yourself with him. And there's only two ways you can go. In any situation, you only have one choice. Any situation boils down to one choice. God's will or mine. And if it's yours, you've aligned yourself with Satan. And Jesus then begins to talk to the disciples and he he pulls this into perspective. And he says, here is, here's the deal. As we would say, here's the deal. If anyone is going to come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. Because whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever is willing to lose his, sake for my, lose his life for my sake in the kingdom, that person will find his life. So here, here's the, the commitment. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me to be my disciple. And I want you to recognize in this passage that Jesus did not say, you must deny yourself and take up my cross. A lot of times, you know, we think, well, that means, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a cross on my bumper. I'm going to put a cross on my necklace. I'm going to put a cross somewhere in my life. I'm going to hang one in my house. I, we're going to put one on the building. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to, this cross of Jesus is our banner and, and so, you know, I'm gonna, I, I love the cross of Christ, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, take up your cross. Not my cross, but your cross. We have glorified, beautified, and extolled the cross. We cover them with silver and with gold and platinum, and we make them out of beautiful polished wood, and we decorate our lives with the symbols of the cross. But in Jesus' day and the time of his disciples, my friends, the cross was an instrument of Roman torture and death. 
and it had only one meaning. If there was a cross for someone, they were going to die on it. And the Romans were very cruel in their punishment. They had no concept of our Constitution that prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. They nailed rebels and and murderers and lawbreakers. They nailed them to wood and hung them up outside the cities along the highway. It sometimes took them days to die And then they would leave their dead bodies hanging on the wood, nailed to the wood, to begin to rot so that the stench and the horror and the ugliness of that scene would be an inspirer of fear in the hearts of every person in Rome that if you mess with Rome, this will happen to you. And the cross in their minds held only that reality. It wasn't beautiful, it wasn't gold-plated, it wasn't some decoration in their life. It was an instrument of torture and death where people died. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And it was their custom, we know from the crucifixion of Jesus, it was frequently their custom to tie the cross to the convicted criminal and make them carry it to the place of crucifixion. You must take up your cross and follow me. That's the cost of discipleship. When you and I became Christians, and most of us in this room here are this morning, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we might have heard a sermon, something like that. We might have, we might have heard that concept and that message. And at that point in time, to us, uh, the, the, the reality was, I've got to turn from my sin. I've got to deny the path that I'm on. I've got to turn to Jesus Christ. I've got to follow Him. I've got to be willing to give up the past. And, and many of us made a decision with that awareness. But it's interesting that Luke, who was not an eyewitness to these events, but a researcher, he tells us, I looked into all of these stories about Jesus in the Gospel, and I've researched them, and Theophilus, I'm writing to you what I have learned, is that some people standing there that day that reported to Luke heard him say, take up your cross daily. And Luke added that one word in difference to Matthew and Mark, who reported the truth, but Luke added the embellishment, take up your cross daily and follow me. And I think in in that insight, there is a message for us, that in the life of the believer, the cross has special significance that is both past, that is a crisis, And that is also an ongoing, present reality. As we were studying the book of Romans together some time back in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and particularly in chapter 6, we learned that the cross has historic significance for us. In that passage of Scripture, Paul says to us, we were were crucified with Jesus Christ. Our old 
nature was put to death. We died in Him. That like as Jesus Christ was buried through baptism into death, so also we might be raised with Him to walk in newness of life. And as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is a a literal sense in which God places us in Jesus Christ and all that happened to Him on the cross happens to us by God's declaration. We vicariously participate in the death of Jesus Christ, in His burial and in His resurrection so that we might be raised with Him to walk in a new life. That we can be born again of His Spirit. That we can be indwelt by Him and actually begin to live the life of Christ. And there is a historic past for the cross in our lives. Paul says, I am crucified, past tense, with Jesus Christ. But then Paul, in that same chapter in Romans 6, says there has to come a place where we reckon in our lives with the reality of the cross. And then it becomes not His cross, but my cross. It becomes my altar. It becomes the instrument of my death. Because sooner or later in your Christian walk, if you are true to Jesus Christ and intent on following Him, you're going to discover one thing sooner or later. And that is, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you want to do, no matter how well-intentioned you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't do it on your own. You can't live the life. You can't be patient. You can't control your tongue. You can't control your temper. You can't control your lust. You can't handle your appetites. You can't do it. And you come to that that wall of frustration. If you're honest with God and, and, and He's been faithful in your life and you've been faithful to follow, there comes that moment when you realize, I'm undone. I, I'm helpless. I can't live this life for God. And Paul says in Romans 6, 12 and 13 and 14, he says there, here's the answer. Offer your lives a sacrifice. Go to the altar. Die on that altar and present yourself to God as those alive from the dead. Let Him have control. Give Him your members, your eyes and ears and hands and mouth and every part of your being. Let Him control your life. Let Him take over. And friends, when we come to that moment of crisis, whenever it is, when we come to that moment of crisis, it is the realization that in me, that is in my flesh, is nothing good. It wasn't good before I was saved, and it's still not any good. But if I will die to that self, if I will lay down on the altar of death and sacrifice, if I will accept the cross experientially in my life, that God the Holy Spirit will take over in resurrection power and and accept and infill and empower the instruments that I give to Him. The faculties of my being, the, the parts of my life. Have you had that crisis? Have you come to the wall of self? Have you recognized That no matter how hard you try and how well-intentioned you are, you can't perform for God? Have you come to the realization you you can't do it? Don't despair. Don't feel like you're failing as a Christian. You're finally getting it. Your eyes are coming open. 
You're coming to reality. Only Christ can live the life of Christ. And He can only live it in you when you die and get out of the way and let Him have it. So there is a crisis of experience when we come to acknowledge the truth of what has already happened by faith and we reach out and take hold of it for ourselves and say, yes, I am dead in Christ, but I'm alive in Him also. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I am crucified with Christ. (laughs) Nevertheless, I'm alive. You guys see me. I'm here making tents. I'm preaching in the synagogues. I'm preaching in the marketplace. I'm, I'm starting churches. I'm going on missionary trips. You see me alive. But guess what? The life that I'm now living, it's not me. It is not my life. The life that I now live in this body, in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. The life that you see is the life of Jesus because I am crucified with Christ. And yet, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, even though the the past reality of the cross is, is effective in our lives by the grace of God and the crisis moment of our own end of self-effort is, is a moment of time in our experience. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. Now, if you look at the context of the passage, he's literally talking about physical death. That, that chapter is about dying and death and resurrection and all of that. And in that context, Paul was talking about the perils and the challenges. And, and my goodness, Paul was shipwrecked at sea and he's been beaten time and again and stoned and left for dead and all kinds of things have happened to him. And basically what Paul was saying is, I wake up every day with the realization that this may be my last day on earth. I wake up every day with the knowledge that that as far as this human earthly life goes, I have mortality. I am going to die and I could die today. But in that, he is on a mission for Jesus Christ and he recognizes at the same time, I make this choice to live for Christ knowing the risk. I subordinate my will to the will of the Father. And every day I face the fact that my life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. And friends, I'm speaking this morning to a predominantly believing Christian audience. And the question I really want to drive home this morning and really want us to consider is, do you die daily? Do you reckon every day of your life? Do you consider? Do you appropriate? I don't care what term you want to use. Do you think about it? When you wake up in the morning and you open your eyes and the alarm clock goes off, maybe it doesn't happen in that order. But, but you get your day started and, and you begin to come to consciousness. Are you aware of the fact this day that your life is not yours? You have no right to it. You belong to God. He is Lord and Master. And this day, you choose 
again by faith to live in surrender to his will and to his spirit. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Are you aware of that when you start your day? I will tell you very honestly that it should be almost as subconscious as breathing. And yet, some of us need reminders. Until it becomes the habit of life, some of us need those cues. I said to the 8 o'clock service, write it on the mirror in the bathroom. Use marker in the shower. Be sure you can get it off with fingernail polish remover or something, but write it in the shower. Remind you, I am dead today. Christ is alive in me. I don't have any rights over my life. Jesus Christ has the right to direct my life. Because you see, friends, we have these mountaintop spiritual experiences, and then we kind of come back, you know. Somebody about 25 years ago wrote a song, I'd like to live on the mountaintop fellowshipping with the Lord, you know. I kind of like that, because I, I like that, you know, I'd like to be there too. But if I never come off the mountaintop, they'll never know, you know. But it'd be nice to just kind of hang out in the presence of God all the time, to breathe that celestial air, kind of be on that spiritual high. But the reality is you've got to go to work, you've got to buy groceries, you've got to go to the dentist and get the root canal done. and You've got to live with your family and, and, and work with your colleagues and associate with your friends and people get in your space and they mess with your stuff. And, and, and life, you know, becomes... Ordinary in many ways and senses, and sometimes we just forget what it's all about. And so I want to ask you this morning are you consciously aware every day that you must deny yourself today afresh? You must. Embrace the cross in your life today. And today, you must follow Jesus Christ, who is alive in you, to live His life. Friends, there ought to be a sense, and, and, and I want to I explain this to you, because you ought to be able to see this in your life. There ought to be, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you ought to be able to look back to the day that you were saved, and mark the progress. You should be able to see when God dealt with your temper and it went away for good. You should be able to see when God dealt with your lust and gave you victory. You should be able to point to the time when God cleaned up your filthy mouth and gave you new language. You should be able to, to point to the time when God changed your inside attitude about the way troublesome people in your life treat you. You should be able to mark the time and see how God has been progressively making you look like Jesus Christ. 
You should see how He's dealt with your temperament. You should mark the things that He has shown you about your ugly self and how He has replaced it with His beautiful Spirit. You should see how the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to mature in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, temperance, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You should see these things in your life. And if you can't see progress, if you can't mark the moments when certain things have fallen away and Jesus has come, invaded that place, and changed the way you behave and the way you think, if you can't see it, and you know that you're saved, then I encourage you to evaluate the question, Have you taken the cross daily and acknowledged His right to rule every day? And your necessity to die every day. Because if you are following Jesus Christ in this way, the Holy Spirit has been at work in your life. Day by day, year by year, to make you look more like Jesus. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, this is, my, this is my mission in life. I pursue Jesus Christ. I want to know Him. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to know the, 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 the power of His resurrection. I, I'm willing to be conformed to His death. I want to know Jesus. And he says something that all of us can quote because it's kind of our experience. We all, we all love the next passage where he says, And this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I look toward what lies in front of me and I press toward the upward mark of the call of God in Jesus Christ. And we say, Yay, Paul, I'm with you. I like this. I want to forget what's behind and I want to move on. And we stop there. We just stop quoting. But verse 16 goes on and says, Let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different one, God will show that to you. And we say, wait a minute. What you just said in that... Sandwich verse in between, you just said, not as though I had already attained it or had become perfect, but I'm pressing on. And now you say you're perfect. Paul, what gives? And when you delve into that, you see that what Paul is saying is, I am exactly where I ought to be in my walk with God. How else could he say to to churches, follow me, watch my life? Pattern after my example. Do what I do. And you'll be following Jesus Christ. Are you willing to make that boast this morning? I don't mean in an arrogant, fleshly way. But are you willing to stand up in this room this morning and say, Hey everybody, watch me. Follow me around. Watch what I do. And do what I do. And you'll be following Jesus. That's what Paul said. To other, to other churches, other people. How could he do that? Because he said, I am maturing. 
The word perfect in both circumstances in that passage means mature, but one is the ultimate sense and one is in this moment. And if you go to an apple orchard at apple blossom time and you see all the trees in bloom, you can truly say they're all mature. And if you go back a little while later and you see little green knots on all the trees where the blooms were, and they all have green knots, you can say, they're coming along. Those, those, those apples are mature for this moment. And if you go back a little later and you see this luscious red fruit about the size of your fist hanging on the tree, you can say, wow, those, those apples are, have matured. But if you find a tree that's still in bloom, or you find a tree with little green knots, you say, man, that's not mature. Because it's not where it's supposed to be. And Paul says, I have not arrived at, at ultimate perfection. I'm in pursuit of God. But he says, right now, today, I'm where I ought to be. And let us, therefore, as many as are mature in our walk with Christ, have this attitude that we're pressing on. And if in anything you, you have a different attitude, God will help you with that. God will deal with you. And so I ask you this morning, can you see the progress in your life? Are you moving along? Do you see maturity? Have you changed? If you haven't changed, you're missing the wonderful provision of the Holy Spirit. And the abundant life that Jesus Christ promised you, the joy, the blessing, the experience of walking with Him intimately is contingent upon allowing Him to do His work in your heart day by day. It's as you follow Him that you have the joy of the abundant life in communion with the Spirit. You know, there's nothing better than going through life and, you know, you're, you're about to say something and the Holy Spirit says, ah, you don't want to say that. And you say, okay, yes, Lord. Or, or you're, you're in a conversation and, and the Holy Spirit says, you need to say this. And you say, okay, talk through me. You have my tongue. And, and, you know, you start to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. And you say, okay. And, you know, whatever. And you come to the end of the day and it's like, man, God, hasn't this been good? This has been an adventure. We've had so much fun together today. And God says, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. And you're just full of joy. That's the abundant life. You know, it's not praying for a new Mercedes and getting it. It's like, ah, how ridiculous, how ugly, how mundane. I can have Jesus filling my life if I will deny myself, take up the cross, and follow Him. And friend, if you're here this morning and you have not seen progress... I can tell you this much. It's not God's fault. For He is at work in us to will and do of His good pleasure.
If you have not seen progress, it's because you are not surrendered. You are not allowing him to shape and mold, convict, correct, and change your life. And he wants to do that. He wants to do that. And so I want to ask you today, will you... Will you purpose in your heart to make that examination? And if you find that you do not understand on a daily basis what it means to just wake up and put your life on the altar and take the life of Jesus, will you make a commitment this morning to begin right now? And if you've never come to that crisis moment and you're still trying to do this on your own, Friends, I'm telling you, I've said this like 50, 11 times if you've been with me through the years, but you've got to come to the wall and recognize you can't live for Jesus in your power. It's not ever going to work. But he will live through you if you surrender. If you surrender. And every day after that, if you just wake up and say, God, I made that commitment. I put my life on the altar. I made that commitment. I belong to you today. This day is yours. And today I follow you. You have charge of my life. I want to walk in the Spirit. Father, I want to pray this morning for everyone in this room that you would examine our hearts. I want to pray. I do pray and I ask that if there's anyone here that has not made that surrender, that they would, they would make that this morning. Maybe, Lord, they they even want to come forward while the group sings in a moment and they just want to kneel here at the front somewhere and have someone pray with them and drive a stake and say, Today, this day, I, I take my hands off my life. I die. I give it all to God. This day, I stop striving and accept that He is my God. And Lord, as, as you search among our hearts and try us throughout this room, if we have become so used to living life on our terms, stop us in our tracks right now today and remind us that we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you and you have the right to reign and rule in our hearts. And when you do so, we have the abundant life. Lord, move upon us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.